I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, welcome to this week's podcast, AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun. I'm joined in the studio by Andy Robb, my producer. Hey, Andy. Hey, how are you? Good. I'm doing good. And Ken Prell. Hi. <laughs> That's it. That's Ken Prell. You're just like a guy. That's all. I like that I yeah. never give you a title. Ken's, Ken's, I'm the director of audio Ken's, here at AccuWeather. Ken's in charge. He's my boss. And I always just say, and it's Andy, our producer, and Ken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, this week, guys, we are talking about weather folklore. Do you guys have any favorite pieces of what? You probably don't hear it very often. Because with me working in weather, I always hear people's old sayings like that they'll bring up when I'm out like at the grocery store. Or random places. The only thing that I can really think of is when you hear somebody say, well, it's going to rain because my knee's swelling up. Or and, and they have to say it something in that like voice. That. Yeah, they got to say it in an old-timey... <laughs> That's old Andy. That's yeah. old Andy. Yeah. Someday is going to be sitting over in the chair. It's kind of cold in here. That's that's the Where's one... Where's my TV switcher? <laughs> I, I would say that's the one that I've heard probably the most, but right. I've never... I've never really memorized it or, or explored it in detail, so I'd be curious to know more about that. Right. Well, we are going to be sitting down with uh, AccuWeather Network um, morning meteorologist Bernie Reno and Becky DePodwin, also a meteorologist here at AccuWeather. And we're talking about some different folklore and whether or not, because there is some truth in some of those, so I think it's kind of interesting. Some of them are just um, ridiculous, so <laughs> so we're going <laughs> those to... Those are the ones I want to hear about. <laughs> those are the ones you want to know about. So we're going to be talking about that, and then also... This is a pretty new, interesting, forward-thinking way of forecasting, and it comes to us from our second interview today, which is uh, Mike Smith, and he used to be a meteorologist here at AccuWeather mm -hmm. for years. And we had him on a prior episode to talk about the Joplin tornado. Right. He talked about Joplin tornado and tornado warnings. You may want to go back and check out that episode if you haven't, because uh, he's done some research into tornado warnings. But now, his new thing is disease casting, actually figuring out where and what kinds of disease outbreaks may occur. And they have models and everything, all kinds of information that goes into it, like uh, sociological information, as well as weather information, and all kinds of components. It's very interesting stuff. So yeah, it's definitely an interview you want to stay tuned for. Yeah, it'll right. be great to have him back on the show once again. Yep. Right. So all that is coming up, so stay with us. From AccuWeather's Global Headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's everything under the sun. Here's your host, Regina Miller. Well, today I'm joined in the studio by Bernie uh, Reno, meteorologist Bernie Reno of the AccuWeather Network, and also meteorologist Becky DePodwin. And I invited you guys in because I thought that it would be fun to have a conversation about weather folklore. Because we've all, like heard different phrases, different expressions over the years. And like, I thought, you know what? Let's kind of break apart some of those and take a look at them. So thanks for talking to me today, guys. Thanks for having us. Ladies first. Ladies first. <laughs> yes, that's why I was waiting. And you know, Bex, I'm a good friend with Bex. Yeah. 
We call her Bex. Bex. You know, yeah. we have it's an, kind of a cool name. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we have an opportunity every year. AccuWeather goes to the American Meteorological Society, our yearly meeting. So we get a chance to uh, represent AccuWeather in the meteorological community. And that's when I pretty much spend most of my time with yep. Becky. And you guys are getting yeah. ready for that because when we sat down here, you guys were talking about the Hard trip and planning that because it won't be long now. Two months, yeah. Two months, yeah. Always a this, good time. Yeah, this year it's in Phoenix. Which is uh, great because you're going there in January. Yeah, that's one yeah. of the reasons why we like going. If we can escape one week of winter. Right. And I think last year we were in, where was it, Beck? It was Austin, Texas. Austin, and when I yes. walked on the plane in State College, it was below zero yeah. here. And when I walked off, it was like 55 or 60, yeah. and it was the most glorious yeah. thing ever. I know. So that's so, part of it. Yeah, so it's not like up in uh, the outer reaches of North Dakota this they year. They typically you guys have to get... it in warm weather <laughs> right. locations, thank goodness. Right, exactly. So... Uh, well, I thought today we'd talk about some weather folklore, and I thought I'd start by asking you guys, do you guys have any favorite pieces of weather folklore that, you know, you kind of, like a rule of thumb kind of thing that you're like, hey, that one works pretty good? Ooh, ones that work well? Yeah, do you have any that, well, you know what, we'll talk about both. I know, Becky, I know you've got one that's kind of a, a little bit of a pet peeve one that you've got. Well, two, actually, and they're both, they're both pretty quick. It's the lightning doesn't strike the same place twice, which is absolutely false. Lightning does often strike the same place twice. In fact, tall buildings like uh, the Sears Tower or the Empire State Building will often be struck multiple times in a minute in a storm. Right, <laughs> So they're the highest point. <laughs> right, right, and lightning, t lightning tends to strike high points. So that's kind of the rule of thumb is don't be near anything tall, don't be the tallest person outside, and really just get to shelter. And if lightning has struck there, it, it can't strike again. Right, and I, you know, it's because that one has kind of gone on and evolved to be like about just bad luck at anything, right. you know? So people kind of use that as a regular kind of expression when something bad happens. Oh, lightning can't strike. Well, yeah, it can strike in the same place twice. <laughs> so that one, yeah, that one definitely is not a good one. That's why we say don't hide under a tree or the tallest thing in the field. So. So um, I have one that doesn't work that I thought was really kind of funny. And I had heard, um, since we're talking about the ones that don't work, <laughs> I tried this one on the air. Have you guys ever heard the one about an egg will balance on its end during the equinox? Yeah, I've heard that all the time. Did you ever try it? No. I just assume it's ridiculous. You, yeah, so you were so better than me. Yeah, you yeah, were smart. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like... I, yeah, I remember seeing it. You know, sometimes you hear these things. Right. And I'm always taught to be careful uh, about being, no, no way. Because, you know, in the world of weather, right. you know, we're taught, well, wait a minute. You know, look at it, think about it, re don't react, always think, and then come back. But that one was, well, that, that doesn't it, make any sense. Right, because there are some things in nature yeah. that have made Absolutely. sense over the years. Now, that one I actually tried on the air one time mm -hmm. because I thought, you know what, I want to, I'm going to get a, I actually got a whole dozen eggs because I was like, okay, I just want to see if it's a fluke. So I tried a couple of eggs and tried, no, they will not, it has more to do with the shape of the egg. It has yeah, nothing, nothing to do with the equinox, you know. Um, so then we just made omelets later and had a great old time that morning at work <laughs> um do you have any bernie that you have said you know what this one uh works you know what it, when, when i first got to accuweather many many years ago there's no need to date myself um <laughs> we always had one in forecasting during the winter time when a fresh snow would fall and the snow was on the trees if the snow melted off the trees that meant the next storm brought rain 
if it blew off the trees, that meant this next storm would be snow. Now, did that one work all the time? No, but you can see some rationale for it. You have to take some liberties on it. But the thought is, well, if it's melting off the trees, that means warmer air is coming in out ahead of the next storm that would likely bring rain. But however, if they're behind the storm, colder air is coming in, there's wind, it would keep it cold. So if it blow off the trees, the, le- the next storm would be snow. But it's right. a, it, it, it can change. It there are some change. variables there, you know, that can change. Yeah. But I can see where it makes sense because you think about, okay, uh, where we're at in, you know, the mid-latitudes, northeast, mm-hmm. and, and where if you're getting it to blow off the trees, that means that that system went, went through and, and now we've got that in. northwesterly yeah. wind probably kicking in. So I, I, can I see think of all the weather folklores that I do tend to pay attention to are ones that pertain to nature and animals mm-hmm. or acorns or, um, you know, I've, I, I, there are certain uh, folklore that pertains to animals and natures. And like I remember one year acorns, 2010, lots of acorns, lots of acorns, lots of acorns. And I think if you think about it, nature understands and nature, because it has to survive, or because there's no way that it can mitigate nature or the outside world that they have a heads up or the system has a heads up on what's coming. Now, I don't know how you prove some of those, but you can kind of see if you're rationalizing it when it comes to natures or animals, how certain folklores, there may be some um, some rationale for it. Right. Um, but I can't think of any offhand except that acorn that acorn one where I remember one year there was a lot of acorns and it was a cold, cold, and uh, of course when you have the cold you could have a snowy winter. Yeah. No. Well, I have one that's a, a rule of thumb. And I know Becky and I, we've talked about this one before because you said you've used this one as well. But the red at night, sailor's, sailor's delight, delight. Oh, sure. Red in the morning, sailor's warning is one of my favorites. And that's one of those nature ones. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you were saying you were on a cruise, I think, when we were last talking about it, Becky, and how yeah. you actually saw it in action. Yeah, it was it was really neat. I mean, thankfully for us, it was calm, but it was it was a red, beautiful sunset, and the next day was absolutely gorgeous sailing weather. Mm-hmm. So I think that one's absolutely true, and sailors have been using that for centuries. Right, because you figure they didn't have models back then. No, or radar. So, or or, or radar, or anything. So you really had to watch the weather. And, like, on that one, I think it's interesting when you think about it. Because, you know, I've really kind of... This one actually has been around since the Bible. This is in Matthew 16, 2, 3. Jesus actually talks about the red, red sky, sky mm-hmm. at night. In it. So this has been around for thousands of years. But when you think about it, it makes so much sense. At least when you're thinking about the mid-latitudes. Mm-hmm. Sure. So when you have a, a sunrise or a sunset and you've got the sun at a low angle. So if you're, if it's clear between you and the sun, so it's sunrise. And if it's clear between you and the sun then it's reflecting off the clouds on the other side of you. So at sunrise, and you've got that sun at a low angle, it's reflecting off the clouds on the other side of you to the west. Mm-hmm. That's Which is the next storm. Yeah. storms from the west, because exactly. our, our storms move west to east. But at sunset, if you've got a clear sky between you and the sunset, and it's reflecting off those clouds on the other side of you in the east, that's a departing storm. So that one, to me makes a lot of sense and there was something that happened to me just a couple of weeks ago it was funny my wife had her friend over at my house at her 
our house. <laughs> Did you say her I, house? I, I said is her it decorated house. in things you like, well, or is it decorated? I completely live there, in? and one <laughs> Do you have could, a room? One could argue I pay rent. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember it was the summertime, and my friend, my my, my wife's friend, had, had some kind of operation that um, uh, she was in a major accident. So I, I think she had some replacement knees. But she would tell me, "Oh, is it going to rain?" I said. It's not going to rain. Mm-hmm. You know, now, the problem was I didn't look at the radar. I just this, I knew there was something around, but I think, well, the odds of it hitting us. Yeah. And she said, it's going to rain. I can tell my bones are absolutely killing me. I said, oh, here we go. Yeah. You know, people tell you that. Well, you do hear that. Yeah, and you know what? Five minutes later, it rained. Well, in people's And by the way, it was brought, that. it was, it was. Uh, I bet they never oh, let you they live love that, that down. Yeah. Meteorologist oh, yeah. I don't have now. a meteorology degree, <laughs> and I'm right. Yeah, I got that one. So, you know, that's an example. Mm-hmm. Of of some uh, folklore when it, that that I think is rooted in some science, right? And that one actually I think is barometric pressure has Absolutely. an impact yeah. on how your joints feel if you have arthritis and that type of thing. And you know, um, you know, I was thinking too about when you're talking about something that's happening to a person physically, like your bones aching or something like that, is when your hair gets frizzy or curly hair will droop at different times and so you know there's too much moisture like maybe it's going to rain if your curly hair is like kind of drooping now bernie you know some ducking my head as they've been talking about the hair i've been like you have a great bald head bernie (laughs) so i'm like (laughs) sinking lower and lower (laughs) but that one works because when you think about it early instruments used a human mm-hmm. hair to measure the moisture in the atmosphere. So when you think about that, well, that one makes sense because it will elongate, I think, with moisture. Um, and then it kind of shortens up, you know, if there's not much moisture in there. So what about um, when people just say the cold makes you sick? Like, because everybody hears, uh, bundle up, you're going to catch your death, you're going to get sick. That's not really related to the weather, I don't think. It's mm-hmm. more related to the fact that when it's cold outside you don't have the windows open you know you're closed in in spaces where there's not a lot of great air circulation and so germs just travel a lot quicker and a lot easier Uh, i think once you are sick it may be a little more difficult to recover because Mm -hmm. even even your mood can be impacted by the weather which can then have an impact on your physical well-being so Mm -hmm. I, i think there's a lot of correlations but not actually a lot of causation between the cold and being sick right and actually you're kind of ending up in the same you know especially around the holidays where everybody's enclosed in the winter with a bunch of people visiting and coming and going and so you're bringing germs into an enclosed yeah. space. Traveling right? and planes and trains. Yes. There's just a lot, almost every a lot of year, germs going on almost there. Almost every year I end up sick after the AMS. Oh, every year. Every year coming home. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And an ear infection last yep, year. Last Awful. Two years ago I got sick yep. uh, coming home. And then uh, Becky had an ear infection that got very bad while we were out there. And oh, a lot wow. of it is, you know, it could be Shaking a number of hands. things. But certainly... You're enclosed in the plane. Enclosed. Yeah. You're enclosed, and plus you're also enclosed, like because that's theirs are usually in the winter, don't they? Mm-hmm. Usually, always in the usually winter. Usually, AMS yep. is in the yep. winter, so always people think it's winter. because yep. it's cold weather season, mm-hmm. but it's actually the fact that you're more enclosed yep. in it. the winter. It's going to be more of a problem. Um, have you guys ever heard the woolly bear or the yes. woolly worm caterpillar? That I have heard it, but to this day, I never paid attention to it to understand how the how the whole woolly worm 
folklore works. Right. Well, you know, I looked into this because mm-hmm. I thought this one was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. This is another one of those ones that I was just fascinated about because it's nature. And you think, well, they say that if there's uh, more black, it's going to be mm-hmm. a worse winter. If there's more brown, then it's going to be a milder winter. And depending upon where the stripes are, that's the other part of it is if you've got more black in the center of the woolly worm, then the middle part of the winter is not going to be so bad. Like if there's black on either end, then the beginning and the end of the winter are going to be worse. So they have a whole spectrum of things that go and along with And I have seen more worm. woolly worms lately. Have it's you? Fun. Oh, in the last couple of weeks, I've seen them all over the place. So now I'm, I'm listening intently. Okay. So, so keep going. Don't let me interrupt here's you. What, here's what I've found out about this. So it actually is not based on the upcoming season. It is actually, so it's not predicting a bad winter or a mild winter. What it does tell you a lot about is the previous season on how long the woolly worm caterpillar or the woolly bear caterpillar has been feeding, whether there's been good feeding, like if it's been a good season for whatever is their food resource. And then it also tells you about the age of the caterpillar because they will molt up to six times during their lifetime. So that will leave brown rings. So really the woolly bear caterpillar isn't really telling you anything about the upcoming season. All you learn about them is how old they are and whether they had a lot to eat recently. <laughs> I was looking forward to hearing this you and were, now now you've just I just like totally ruined yeah, it oh, well, for you. So much for I? that. Yeah. What about this one? You can tell the temperature by cricket chirps. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. Okay, well we have a little clip uh, on this from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> What's that? Sounds like a cricket. Hang on. Based on the number of chirps per minute and the ambient temperature in this room, it is a snowy tree cricket. Oh, give me a frickin' break. How could you possibly know that? In 1890, Emile Dolbert determined that there was a fixed relationship between the number of chirps per minute of the snowy tree cricket and the ambient temperature, a precise relationship that is not present with ordinary field crickets. So anyway, I love that that was in the Big Bang Mm -hmm. Theory, that they actually spent some time talking about this. But so what has been found out about this is crickets are actually really good thermometers. They chirp faster when it's when it's warm and they do slower when it's cold so here's here's the theory with this so if you add uh if if you count their chirps for 14 seconds then add 40. okay you should have the temperature in fahrenheit so say that again you count the chirps so you count their chirps for 14 seconds 14 and you add 40. And you add 40. Okay. And you will get a pretty good ballpark sense of the actual temperature. By the way, I'm a huge Big Bang Theory, and I don't remember that. I, I have to do this. Regina. Regina. <laughs> I know, because Regina. Bernie does that all the time. I love the big uh, Sheldon. Uh, Penny. <laughs> Penny. Penny. So anyway, yeah, yeah, so that was Sheldon talking about that. And so uh, anyway, that's proven to be pretty good so um in our house i I don't even have thermometers and i don't use alexa i I just have my own cricket you're gonna let (laughs) him indoors huh i'm gonna let him indoors i name him clyde and then i just find out what i am gonna try that try that now obviously i'm gonna have to wait but uh (laughs) right i never but again that 
That's in and and that has been verified. Well, uh, it's a ballpark. It's a ballpark. Okay. It's actually okay. The I'm going to tell you the yeah, origin of this, ahead. so then you know. Amos Dolbear. He was a noted American physicist and inventor. He published his findings in an 1897 article. Makes sense. That was titled "The Cricket as a Thermometer." So uh, you know, it is interesting um, when you read. St- uh, for example, I'm a, a I'm a history buff, and one of my favorite um, historical times was the the uh, American Revolution. And one of my favorite found my favorite founding father is John Adams. Okay. And I don't know if you've read some of his books or seen the HBO miniseries. And they, no, but I'm going to. They I didn't know about it. Were so in tune with the weather. That they kept kept detailed um, um, observations, and some of the observations and even the the forecasting theories they made were so ahead of their time. And I think a lot of it was because of how they were in tune with the nature and they saw things like this. So it makes sense to me that people back in that time used whatever instrument mm-hmm. that that they could to figure out things. So that's. Uh, kind well, of interesting think about it because yeah. you didn't have the we were just talking about this before we got started mm. computer models didn't have the reliance on no. all those things and so you had more time to notice mm-hmm. what was going on in nature yeah so i can see because you said uh, about adams uh and then also i mean you think about benjamin franklin Frankly, i mean he was he was amazing what he did amazing. i mean he's the one that figured out the whole um gulf stream he, the Nor'easter came from him. I mean, he was amazing. All of the and inf- not having instruments it's to just really observations. Yes, you know, yes. and and I think when you when you are the one that you're not you're not um, caught, you're not using anything else but your mind, mm-hmm. you figure it out, and that's what they did. And they were amazing. What all of the information that um, and and the, a lot of their theories that they put forth about the weather and how correct they were. Right, yeah. because they were observing it. Yeah. And I know um, th- there was uh, two more that I wanted to talk about that are those observations. And I think, you know, uh, Becky, that we were talking about the fact that like a ring, or, this is an old expression, a ring around the sun or moon means that rain or snow is coming soon. And so there's some truth to that one, right? Yeah, I mean, essentially, a ring around the sun or the moon basically means that the light is is being refracted through ice crystals, which is indicative of incoming clouds. Mm. So it's a really simple explanation for that. And you can, that one's a pretty good rule of thumb as well. If you look up at night and there's a halo around the moon, probably going to have rain in the next 12 to 24 hours. Right. And a lot of times it's those really high cirrus. It's the first clouds to arrive. Those blow off cirrus. So those are the first ones that show up. And a good precursor to a snowstorm. Exactly. Same same thing where it clears out. You get the fresh injection of cold air, and all of a sudden, clear skies, light winds, dry air, and then you get the high clouds. Oftentimes, that is a precursor as well. Right. So some of those are really good. One more that uh, I just want to mention before we kind of close out is... Um, opening of windows before a tornado hits i'll let becky do that one she's already smiling with a look because in her eyes. they used to think that, that <laughs> they did they used to uh, now people that still do mm-hmm. people still think that opening the windows before a tornado hits will relieve the pressure and save your home and it's it's so far from the truth and can actually 
cause someone to be injured because they're taking the time to run around their house and open these windows. That so has nothing dangerous. to do with it. I mean, yes, the pressure does drop in a tornado very significantly, but that's not what's going to hurt you. It's the wind and the debris that is driven by the wind. And that does not matter whether the windows are open or closed. Like, if the winds are that strong, the house is going to be destroyed no matter what. So don't don't waste the time going around to open the windows. Just get to shelter, get to the basement, get to an interior room. Right. I agree because they used to think that the house was imploding because it probably looked like that. But probably, it was the wind yeah, sounds like that. just it like taking that. it down, yep. you know. So, well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you both sitting down with me. This was a fun topic. This was fun. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I like Bernie's at the end. Just it was a little delayed. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's a bit tired. It's been. He is a bit tired. It's been. It's been a long day for him so far. <laughs> Bernie always yeah. has long days in here, where he comes in and he's here for like twelve hours before he heads out. So we're just happy that he was able to take the time to sit down with us and Becky as well. And uh, you know that topic was interesting. Now, if you're somebody who's like, you know what, I don't want to look outside to see what's going on. Or if you don't trust your own knee. <laughs> if you don't trust your own knee, and you don't trust crickets or woolly bears, <laughs> maybe you want to uh, check out some technology that we have here at AccuWeather. It's right there on your phone. Yeah, download the AccuWeather app today. Of course, it also features MinuteCast, our exclusive hyper-local minute-by-minute precipitation forecast for your area. Right, and next up, we have a pretty exciting new technology coming out. It's called DiseaseCast. That's right. Well, I'm joined on the phone by Mike Smith. He was the former senior vice president of AccuWeather Enterprise Solutions, a storm warning expert, author, and his newest venture is a cell bio forecasting disease. Thank you for joining me on the phone, Mike. It's my pleasure, Regina. I was calling because I wanted to find out about this new, never-before-done venture that you're involved in. We have been working on this for the last seven years, and the theory is to forecast and warn of diseases or an epidemic in much the same way that weather science warns of a hurricane. And if you're warned, you can take precautions. For example, if we tell you a couple of weeks in advance that the probability of a flu outbreak is high or very high, you want to make sure you've had your flu shot. Now, you want to get your flu shot anyway, especially your children. Make sure your children are vaccinated. But we may be able to give you a little extra nudge through our forecast. And by doing that, we hope to save lives, just like meteorologists save lives in tornadoes and hurricanes. Well, Mike, I was wondering, so you say about a certain outbreak. So give me kind of a scenario on how weather relates to the disease outbreak. Well, they call me a cell bio's chief biometeorologist. <laughs> and for example, we know certain types of weather cause more mosquito eggs to be laid and more mosquitoes to hatch. Those are typically very wet conditions, very warm conditions, and pools of water, puddles and things like that during the season when the mosquitoes are laying their larvae. We also know the conditions during which diseases like Zika and West Nile are most likely to be bad. So we can forecast greater than normal numbers of mosquitoes. We can forecast the conditions when, say, West Nile is most likely. Therefore, by using weather science and other non-weather-related tools, we can make a very accurate, not perfect, just like meteorology, not perfect, but very accurate forecast 
of where the probability of mosquito-borne diseases are greatest. So, Mike, would that kind of look like you're forecasting maybe for a geographical area that you're seeing there's going to be a lot of rain over the next couple of weeks? Do you end up, like, talking to an entomologist as well about hatching? Or, like, what other things come into play with the weather to then have the disease outbreak forecast? Well, these are actually computer algorithms that we've developed over the last six to seven years by talking to entomologists, to epidemiologists, and the scientists who actually know all of these factors. Let's take another type of illness that is worse during flooding, as one example, and that's waterborne illnesses. For example, if you know there's going to be flooding, we can forecast a much higher than normal probability of waterborne illnesses. So we urge people to stay away from floodwaters because they can overwhelm water systems and so that raw sewage can flow. It can mix into rivers and streams. People on some occasions unwittingly get into that water and they'll catch a waterborne illness. And so there are all types of things we can do, whether it's flu, waterborne illnesses, ticks, whatever. We know what those conditions are, and we can warn people. And if you go to what's called diseasecast.com, you can see maps, much like weather maps that you see on TV, that forecast those diseases and their probability. Oh, wow. That's, that's really interesting. So I'm curious, you said, because it was kind of in development for seven years, I think you said, with the algorithms, is there a certain amount of statistics then embedded with that as well? Yes, yes. There, are, there are meteorological conditions, their time of year, there are various statistics. I have a copy of all of that, and it fills a binder about four inches thick. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was before we started talking, you had been talking about hurricanes. Tell me what your disease cast might look like or what you would be letting people know about. One of the problems is that when people evacuate, all different types of people end up in the shelters. The problem is, you know whether your family's been vaccinated for the flu, for example. Mm-hmm. You don't know whether the other people in the shelter have been vaccinated. And we know from past experience that flu and other types of diseases can spread to people who have done the right thing by evacuating but are mixed into the population with people who have the flu. And if you haven't been vaccinated, you're going to get the flu also. So people that are displaced to say, schools or community centers that's part of an evacuation. You want to make sure you have what's called an N95 disease mask, antibacterial wipes, hand soap. Those things are very important to stay healthy when you're an evacuee. And that sort of advice is on the diseasecast.com site so that people are able to proactively protect their health when they're in a hurricane situation. Wow, that's interesting because, I mean, you would typically think about, well, the hurricane, flooding, um, you know, diseases related to that kind of thing. But it never would have occurred to me that where they evacuate to, they can get a whole new set of diseases. So that's interesting. Exactly. And so that's what we try to do with DiseaseCast.com. We're trying to help 
the population, all of our friends and neighbors stay healthy. And not only do we make the forecasts of diseases, there are blogs on how to protect yourself from each type of disease, especially if you're in a hurricane situation or something and you need to get things quickly. There's sort of a green bar across the middle of the site, and that will take you to your Amazon account, and you can buy right then and there what you need before you leave home or just to keep on hand. Well, what gave you this idea, this brainchild? Because I'd never heard of anything like this, and you say that it really hasn't been done before. It has not been done before in the history of humanity. I'd like to say it was my idea. It actually wasn't. Our CEO was in a Barnes & Noble in New York City in 2011, and he ran across a copy of my book, Warnings, The True Story of How Science Tamed the Weather. And as he was reading the story of how the storm warning system began, he said to himself, hmm, this guy did with tornadoes 50 years ago what we're trying to do with disease. He might be helpful to have on the team. Wow. So they contacted me and I said, yes, I'd love to be on the team. I'm an investor in the company, but I very much believe that what we're doing is accurate and has the potential to save lives. That's pretty cool. So he didn't even know you. He just found out about you from being in the bookstore. Yes, yes. He was in the bookstore, saw the copy of Warnings, thought the cover was very attractive, thumbed through a few pages and thought, this is really interesting, bought the book, read it, and got in touch with me. That's great. That almost seems like divine providence to bring you two forces together. Exactly. I've said that myself. (laughs) Right. I just wanted to ask about a couple of weather scenarios because, uh, like, blizzards. So what might blizzards look like as far as disease? One of the problems with blizzards is your family is very close together, and sometimes it's fun to hunker down with other people. And I know of situations, in fact, at least once in my own family, where we've all kind of gotten together to watch the snowfall. Well, again, you're getting people in your household who are not normally in that household. It is amazing to me that there are children in this country who have not been vaccinated for measles. There are people who do not get their flu shots. And so you end up having a similar problem that you do with hurricane evacuations. You get people who are not normally in your house in your house, and if they haven't been vaccinated, then you can have a problem. So when you're getting ready to cook that chili that everybody wants (laughs) to eat while they're watching the snowfall, make sure that everyone is washing their hands, make sure that proper cooking procedures are used, and that way you minimize the chance of disease spreading, even if it's just a cold, spreading from one person to another. Right. In our house, it would be the Super Bowl. I'm sure that everything spikes during the Super Bowl because it's all finger foods and dips and everybody's got their hands in it. They're double dipping the chips. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for talking to me about this, Mike. It's very interesting. It's my pleasure, Regina. Thanks to our guests, Mike Smith, Bernie Reno, and Becky DePodwin. And uh, next week's episode, we're pretty excited about. Actually, Andy is so excited it's that we, we have him in the other is. room. He is not <laughs> even in the room. I am very far back. Uh, let me near the microphone. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. He was so excited that he was yelling, and we blew out three microphones. <laughs>
<laughs> while trying to conduct the interview. Let's tell them what it is, Andy. We are going to be speaking with the executive producer of the one and only Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade coming up on next week's podcast. You're going to find out all about it as they approach their 92nd parade. I know, so a big deal. Wow. And then every episode after that, until Christmas, we're just singing Christmas carols together. Just That's hear no sleigh bells ringling, <laughs> jing, jing, jingling. I was well, going to say, not it, Ken. when not was this, Ken. <laughs> when was this gets, decision made? Yeah. Everybody but Ken gets to sing. So I'm not going to win on the voice anytime. So we're going to, we're all going to, nobody's turning their chairs around. <laughs> we're all going to stand around like the peanuts and Snoopy's going to come out. We're gonna right. There it is. We'll leave it on that. That is a voice of an angel. There we go. So, okay. We digress, but we're so excited about this interview, so you'll want to check us out next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. 